And um, I don't know about you, but uh, I think right up there with uh, Citizen Kane, Godfather movies, and uh, The Matrix would be Superman 3. are baffled by the tornado and torrential rainstorms that struck the South American country of Colombia this afternoon, threatening to destroy the nation's entire coffee crop for the next five years. Gale force winds up to an incredible 250 miles an hour lash the countryside, while 12 inches of rainfall have already been recorded in just one day. Superman saves everybody from the tornado. Yeah. Fundamental logical flaw in this, the premise of this movie, uh, at least this part of it. Anybody remember what it is? Anybody want to go back to 1983? Richard Pryor is reprogramming what? Anybody remember? A weather satellite. Do weather satellites cause the weather or do they tell the weather? Right. <clears throat> weather satellites do not create weather. Weather satellites tell you what the weather is. That aside, the movie holds together perfectly. 
Let's uh, remember where we are here. We are in the book of Numbers. We have been here uh, at New Hope going through Torah, going through the five books of Moses, first five books of the Bible. We are at this point uh, more than halfway through the book of Numbers, fourth one. And uh, we have been following the Israelites on their journey. Let's talk about where we're looking at. Israelites were down here in Egypt. There's the Nile. There's the Nile Delta. Enslaved there for 400 some years, God liberates them. And they go on their meandering journey down here to Sinai where they get the law. Right? God gives them Torah. We have the whole scene. They're on the, they're up, Moses is up on the mountain. The people are hanging out. Golden calf, hilarity ensues, etc. Um, and uh, as we pick up the story at the beginning of Numbers, they've gotten the law, and now they're getting ready to enter the land. The land is up here. Now here, some key features of the land. This is the Dead Sea, Jordan River. This is the Sea of Kinneret, also the Sea of Galilee. Much more important a couple thousand years later. Um, and uh, this area here is the land that God is going to be giving the people, along with some of the turf on the other side as well. So they're here, they've got to go here. God says to them in, in, in uh, Numbers, okay, I'm going to send you up here. Here's the deal, uh, you've got to send some spies to scout out the land. And they do. And the spies come back and say what? Anybody remember what the spies said? They are too big, there is no way we can take that land. We seemed like grasshoppers in their sight with the exception of two of the spies. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, we can take them. Turns out, Caleb and Joshua had the right idea, because God, after all, is the one who had said that they could go and take the land. Well, the people rebel. They say, no, we're not going to do it. Now we're going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, God uh, executes his fierce wrath upon them. They say, okay, fine, we'll do it. Sorry, now we're going to... God says, no, 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 don't go now. Like, no, I, I said, no, 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 we'll do it. We're so- No, no, I'm not going to go with you. No, we're solid. We're going to do it. So, the people try to go and do it. They get blocked. The people come down from the hills and beat them all the way down to Hormah, which may actually be a place, may actually be a way of saying that they gave them a thorough smackdown. So, they get repulsed and get back here. They're back around, say, this area here where the action picks up now. They say, okay, well, we can't go that way. We're going to need to go around this way. Incidentally, in the middle, we've got about 37 years of wandering or so. Uh, time has come where we're going to be com- coming close to getting into the land. So we're going to have to come around this way. Slight problem. There are people here who maybe don't want them to do that. Now, this is a good idea to go that way. There's a historically a very important road called the King's Highway went from Damascus all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba down there. Uh, and uh, this was a well-traveled road, a good road, to tr- good road to go on. It was fairly safe. You had uh, 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 the ability to travel well there. But if you want to go through the territory of the people who live there, you're going to need, A, their permission, and, B, you're probably going to have to pay them a toll. Well, the people hanging out here are the Edomites, Edomites come from Esau. What, anybody remember any of the family history? 
between Israel and Edom, right? There's a little little tiny conflict between brothers, a slight disagreement over one completely jipping him out of his birthright. Uh, so Edom, the descendants of Esau, and Israel, the descendants of Jacob, not necessarily on the best terms. Israel goes to Edom and says, hey, can we go through your land? Edom says, no. Israel says, please, we'll pay you. Edom says no, and in order to reinforce the no message, shows up with a whole bunch of troops saying, no, you're not going to come through here. So Israel is going to have to go around Edom. So they're going to have to go down and all the way around here. But the problem is Edomites are not the only one who are there. You also have the Moabites. And... If this weren't interesting enough, down here you've got the Midianites. Up here, you've got the Amorites. You've got Ammon, somewhere around here. They don't figure as prominently at this point in history, but they're around. And then you've even got other folks from up around here who decide they're going to add, in, add themselves to the fight too. Israel has clearly become unpopular in the neighborhood. And one of the reasons is that they are so strong, right? They're, they're starting to be the reputation that's developing about these people that they escaped from Egypt, they've gotten very strong, they're very numerous, and people are starting to get very worried, which is where we pick up our story today. In chapter 22, we find that uh, as Israel is somewhere around here, probably... Right about here, they've gotten there. Israel attracts some notice. They're they're in the plains of Moab, camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, or Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was terrified because... There were so many people. Indeed, all Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. We're skipping ahead chapter uh, 21 where we get some actually beatdowns uh, of the local people um, on Israel's behalf. Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And the Midianites said, actually, ox don't lick the grass, they eat it. But the Moabites round up the Midianites and says, all right, let's take care of this business. Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balaam, what color should we use? Let's use brown for Balaam. Balaam is way the heck up here. About a three weeks journey from Moab. You really want the guy if you're going to send people to go get him. Especially, as you'll see, if you send people twice. So Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land. They've settled near me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him, what Balak had said. All right, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer 
that Yahweh gives me. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God came to Balaam and said, so who are these guys? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. People that's come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, don't go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. So the next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country, for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak thinks this is a negotiating tactic, right? Thinks Balaam's just holding out for more money. So he sends a more impressive cadre of diplomats, more numerous, more distinguished than the first. They said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Balaam answered them, look, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of Yahweh my God. Now, why don't you stay the night so I can find out what else Yahweh will tell me? You almost get the sense that Balaam's like, I don't know, maybe he changed his mind. There's a good payday involved here. That night, God came to Balaam and he said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now comes the comedy. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his ass, and went to the Mo- with the Moabite officials. God was very angry when he went. Why was God angry when he went? Didn't he just tell him to go? Yes, right? What, is God schizophrenic? Did he change his mind? No, probably what's going on is Balaam is going, not with the intention of making it abundantly clear to Balak he can only do what he can do. He's kind of hoping that at some point God's going to change his mind and he's going to be able to cash in on this. This is the most likely scenario. So the angel of Yahweh stands in the road to oppose him. Balaam's riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of Yahweh stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. And then the angel of Yahweh moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh, it lay down under Balaam. He was angry, beat it with its staff, and then Yahweh opened the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, and this incidentally was a she-ass, not a jack-ass, so it would not have sounded like Eddie Murphy. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. Donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Is this my usual habit? No. Well, then Yahweh opened Balaam's eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of Yahweh asked him, So why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I came here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it hadn't turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of Yahweh, I've sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. Angel of Yahweh said to Balaam, Now go with these guys, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. It's a little confusing, isn't it? 
Right? God says, go. And then he's angry because Balaam goes. And then God opposes him. But then when Balaam finally talks to the angel of God, and he's told to go, right? Seems to be confusing. One way that we get a, a picture, a little insight into the mind of Balaam, comes from the letter to Jude. This is the last book of the Bible before Revelation. What's funny? Oh, okay, okay. Well, maybe we can beat that one down utterly too. So, Jude is writing to this community that he's in relationship with. Jude is the brother of Jesus. He says, you know, my dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that the Lord has once for all entrusted to us as people. The problem is that certain individuals, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, uh, of our God, into a license for immorality. They deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. You get all sorts of nice, uh, vivid language here. He says, "Woe to them!" They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And we remember all these stories now, right? Right? Cain, who resents his brother because his sacrifice was acceptable, but Cain's wasn't. We have Korah, who wanted to have the power, wanted to have a special place, wanted to be in a unique relationship with God, even though he claimed that he was just trying to stand up for the rights of all people. And now we have Balaam, who we understand made an error for profit. I'm not going to go into it, but basically the situation in Jude is you've got these leaders who have become a, a bad influence on the people. And so Balaam, probably with some sort of profit motive, is on this quest. God's going to use him anyway, which is the cool part. But Balaam, Balaam is in precarious position. So when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Dude, didn't I tell you to come here urgently? Two and a half months ago now? Why didn't you come to me? What, you think I'm not good for it? All right, well, I'm here now, Balaam said, but look, I can't say whatever I please. I only can speak what God puts into my mouth. So Balaam went to Balak to Kiriat Huzot, sacrificed cattle and sheep, gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamot Baal, and from there, Balaam could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. Balaam said, all right, I'm hungry. Build me seven altars here, prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. So Balak did as Balaam said. The two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, All right, stay here beside your offering. I'm going to go aside here. And perhaps Yahweh will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. And then he went off to a barren height. God met with him. Balaam said, I prepared seven altars. On each altar I offered a bull and a ram. Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth. And he said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. So he went back, found him standing beside his offering with all the Moabite officials, and Balaam spoke his message. And for the translation of that, I'm going to go with 
the rendering of William Foxwell Albright, the great uh, New Old Testament scholar at Johns Hopkins University. He was so good they named the whole School of Ancient Near Eastern Studies after him. From Aram hath Balak brought me Moab's king from the eastern mountains. Go thou and curse for me, Jacob. Go thou and tell Israel's doom. But how shall I curse whom God hasn't cursed? How shall I doom whom Yahweh hasn't doomed? For from the peak of the mountains I see, and from the hilltops I behold. There's a folk that dwelleth apart, and is not reckoned among the peoples. Who hath counted the dust of Jacob? Who's numbered Israel's dust clouds? Let me die the death of a just man, and let my end be like his. Well, this was not what Balak had paid for, to say the least. What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing, nothing but bless them. He answered, Look, must I not speak what Yahweh puts in my mouth? And Balak clearly not getting the situation here. He says, come with me to another place where you can see them. But obviously you've been talking about how numerous they are. I'm going to let me give you a vantage point where you can only see some of them. Maybe that'll work. There I want you to curse them for me. So the same deal, altars, animals sacrificed. Balaam goes off, meets with Yahweh, comes back, and Balak says, all right, so what did Yahweh say? Arise, O Balak, and hearken. Listen to my witness, O Zippor's son. God is not a man to speak falsely, nor of mankind to change his mind. Hath he spoken, and will he not act? Or decreed, and will he not carry out? Now I've been brought to bless, so I will bless. I'm not going to withdraw. Evil has not been seen in Jacob, nor hath crime been beheld in Israel. Yahweh as God is with him, and royal majesty clothes him. It's God who brought him from Egypt while he stormed like a wild bull. For there's no omen against Jacob and no spell can work against Israel. But now shall be said to Jacob and to Israel, what has God done? Behold, a folk that doth leap like a lioness. Isn't that good? Behold, a folk that doth leap like a lioness and a people that attacks like a lion. It lies not down before devouring prey and drinking the blood of the slain. Balak said to Balaam, Ah, oh, great. Okay, how about this? If you can't curse them, at least don't bless them. All right? Just neither bless nor curse them at all. Balaam answered, Did you see Superman 3? <clears throat> the whole weather satellite thing? That's not how it works. I don't create the message. I give you whatever message God has. Balak said to Balaam, look, let me take you somewhere else. Maybe, maybe it'll please God to let you curse them from there. Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. And Balaam said, all right, altars, sheep, bulls. Once again, when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he didn't resort to divination at other times. You get the sense this, this guy had developed a reputation as somebody who was getting messages from God and was able to convey them. And they made sense. They came true. Otherwise, people wouldn't have gone all the way up to eastern Jabib to go find him. And he had his techniques that seemed to work. But here, you almost get the sense that he is stripped down. When Balaam looked out and he saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, 
the Spirit of God came upon him and he spoke his message. This is the utterance of Balaam, who is Beor's son, utterance of the man whose eye is true, utterance of one who hears God's words, and of one knowing what the highest knows, one who beholds Shaddai's visions in a trance with eyes unveiled, which is a great intro. No? How fair are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy encampments, O Israel, like brooks, like gardens beside a river, like cedars which Yahweh planted, like trees beside pools of water. So may his kingdom be higher than Agag, may his royalty be exalted. It's God who did guide him from Egypt while he stormed like a wild bull. He will devour the peoples who resist, and the bones of them he will crunch. He crouched, lay down like a lion, like a lioness. Who's going to attack him? Blessed is he who blesses thee, and cursed is he who curses thee. That, any resonances there? You remember anything like that anywhere? Maybe in Genesis, what God said to Abraham, right? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together. He said to him, I summon you to curse my enemies. You've blessed them these three times. Now go away. I said I would reward you handsomely, but Yahweh has kept you from being rewarded, which is an interesting technique for getting out of having to pay your side of the bargain. Balaam answered Balak, look, I, I told you, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything of my own accord, good, good or bad, to go beyond the command of Yahweh. I can only say what Yahweh says. Don't get mad at me. Now I'm going back to my people, but check this out. Let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. This one's, this one's free. This one's on me. Utterance of Balaam, who is Beor's son. Utterance of the man whose eyes is, eye is true. Utterance of one who hears God's words and of one knowing what the highest knows, of one who beholds Shaddai's visions in a trance with eyes unveiled. I see, but not this moment. I gaze, but it is not soon. When the star of Jacob shall prevail and the tribes of Israel shall arise, they shall smite the temples of Moab and the skulls of all Beneshut, and the remnant from Ar shall be slain and Edom shall be dispossessed. Jacob shall rule over his foes, and dispossessed shall be Seir, and Israel shall have success. And then he's on a roll. Then he starts cursing other nations around him. He saw Amalek, and he de delivered an oracle about him, saying Amalek was the first of the peoples, but his end is to perish forever. And then he saw the Kenites and delivered an oracle about them, saying, Thy abode, O smith, is perennial, and thy nest is set in the cliffs, yet they shall become fuel. The while I gazed thy sojourners, and he saw Gog, and delivered an oracle about him, saying, The isles shall be gathered from the north, and ships from the farthest sea, and while I gaze, they pass over. So he also shall perish forever. And then Balaam got up and returned home, and Balak went his own way. Don't want to give too much away of what's coming up. But does anybody remember what happens, maybe if you read this before, what happens to Balaam? He is. Just a few chapters later, in chapter 31, 
Yahweh says to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you'll be gathered to your people. Evidently, Balaam has fallen in with the Midianites at this point. Maybe he never did make it home. And we read that they fought against Midian as Yahweh commanded Moses and killed every man. And among their victims were Balaam, son of Beor, whom they killed with the sword. There's a sense that Balaam never did resolve properly this tension between his desire for profit and the unique ability that he had been given to bring messages from God. We hear about this sort of thing in the New Testament. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, He's talking about his ministry. He says, you know, the fact is that we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To those who are being saved, we're an aroma that brings life. To the ones who are perishing, we're an aroma that brings death. Uh, And who's equal to such a task? Look, unlike so many, Paul says, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. To the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. What Paul's not saying is that he shouldn't receive support for doing what he's doing, although he ends up saying he's willingly going to forego that. But he contrasts doing this sort of thing for profit with speaking with sincerity as those sent from God. And in his, in his last letter, And when he wrote to Timothy as he was in the Mamertine dungeon about to get his head lopped off, Paul says to Timothy, his young lieutenant, his apprentice, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. The reality is we always have the temptation when we're confronted with this word, to have it mean something that we want it to mean. No? Right? I just read uh, an article this week by somebody who had gone to a conference. And uh, it was this sort of Christian conference. And this one woman got up and said, I'm I'm really struggling because I, I know that the Bible says this one thing about this particular topic, but... I, I, I don't like that, and I struggle with that, and, I, and I, I feel something else. And somebody who was one of the paid presenters said to her, you know, if that's what you feel, and if it makes you feel more confident, then that must be from God. It's easy. to hear what we want to hear. 
And it can be even more gratifying when we can find people who will tell us what we want to hear. The constant challenge for all of us as we read this word, as we are confronted by it, as we allow God to speak to us, the constant challenge is for us to recognize what a weather satellite does. It's not up to us to control what God says. It's for us to receive it. And those who speak the word, whether it is the divine author who inspired the men and women who wrote this stuff, whether it's people who preach, people who teach, we're all responsible for bringing what God has given. And we're responsible when we receive that for receiving it as what God has given. Doesn't mean we don't test it. Doesn't mean we don't argue. We don't question. Of course we have to do that. We're supposed to do that. But we also have to place ourselves in the proper posture of humility with respect to God's Word. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but they will pay people to give them what their itching ears want to hear. It's all of our responsibility not to scratch that itch ourselves or to let other people do that for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess that like Balaam, we can hear your word and hope that it's something else because that would be more advantageous to it, to us. We confess that sometimes we would like a second opinion. And we confess that sometimes we are all too willing to treat what you have to say as one option among many. Lord, give us humility when we approach your word. Give us the grace to submit to your spirit and receive what you have for us. Lord, keep us from every perverse desire that would lead us away from receiving your word as you've given it to us. Lord, let the example of Balaam remind us that these stakes are not negligible. Pray that we would be your people, faithful to you alone. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.